Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Thursday, September 6th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to Concerned Vets for America. Dan Caldwell, the executive director of that organization, wanted to come in and talk about what's going on over at the VA. Specifically, what's going on with those 40,000-plus job vacancies? Apparently, he says there's a little bit more to that story, and you'll get to hear what he means coming up in just a little bit. And then, of course, it's Thursday, which means we're going to be talking to Joe Shinelli from AMVETS, a.k.a. American Veterans, about the latest and greatest going on with that organization. Probably going to talk about the NFL a little bit with them. Of all the VSOs, AMVETS has been the one to take the strongest stand about standing for the National Anthem. Of course, the NFL season kicks off this weekend, so we've got a lot coming up for you on today's show. And... Just to let you know, an interview that I talked about happening last week that didn't happen uh, due to a scheduling conflict took place yesterday, and we're going to be able to play it for you tomorrow. That's an interview with Randy the Natural Couture, multiple-time multiple time UFC champion, mixed martial arts legend, absolute legend, and also an Army veteran. Served for, uh, I believe it was six years in the United States Army from 82 to 88. Then from there, got a full scholarship to wrestle at Oklahoma State after wrestling for the Army, being an alternate on the 88 Olympic team. Uh, Really a fascinating story. And now he's doing great work with MVP, Merging Vets and Players. And they have a contest where you can actually enter for just $10 to have a chance to win an all-expenses-paid trip to go out and watch the Bellator-Rory McDonald versus Jagar Musasi fight in California uh, in just a few weeks. And you'll get to watch it front row with Randy sitting right next to you and giving you the down low on the fight. So that interview is coming tomorrow. Today, Concerned Vets for America and AMVETS and... Super producer Jake Hughes wearing his very nice American-built United States Space Force T-shirt. How are you doing this morning, Jake? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I'm doing okay, man. I got to tell you, you know, uh, sitting in traffic once again, it's one of those things that it it happens. And I got to think that maybe school starting off is why I'm sitting in extra traffic there weren't any accidents on the route today. It was no just black that helicopters. No, no black helicopters or news helicopters or helicopters of any variety that I saw. Just volume traffic, which I don't know. What do you think is worse, the volume traffic or when it was some idiot doing something stupid that caused an accident? Somebody doing something stupid because that's usually what leads to stop and go traffic. See, my thing about traffic, I can handle going slow. I can handle that. What I can't handle is stop and go where you're literally foot on the brakes on the highway that makes no sense to me no there was a lot of that going on this morning but again no accidents just a lot of volume of course the thing is in many cities and places around the country the the interstate system and the parkway system particularly here on the east coast we're not built to handle the number of cars that are using them these days i think of my days driving into new york city from long island people talk to me about the traffic in the uh the the dc and baltimore metro era area nothing like new york 
because I go about the same distance to get down here. It takes me 45 minutes to an hour on average to go that same distance from Long Island into Manhattan, two hours. And that was going against rough hour, rush hour traffic or rough hour traffic, as I call it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So morning briefing today again. Great show coming up. Concerned Vets for Americans. Dan Caldwell going to talk to us about the job vacancies at the VA and why he thinks that number is a little bit misleading. Of course, Concerned Vets for America, somewhat controversial group. They are uh, often taking aim at what's going on over at the VA. Believe that there need to be some changes made over there. We're also going to talk to him about how he thinks Secretary Wilkie is doing after a month on the job and whether things are moving in the right direction and whether things are actually fixable in Concerned Vets for America's eyes over at the VA. So we're going to talk to Dan about that a little bit later on today. Speaking of the VA, we got a couple news stories we're going to talk about regarding that organization today, Jake. Most of the issues, we've said it time and time again, at the Department of Veterans Affairs seem to stem from the bureaucratic process, the nonsense of waiting to get an appointment, sitting around for hours waiting to get a prescription filled. Or how about ordering a VA ID card and never oh, receiving Lord, it? Oh, Lord, that whole kerfluffle. Yeah, I mean, Joe Chanelli's coming in a little bit later. He was one of the first people to apply for his VA ID card. We'll find out uh, when and if he actually got that. He had a, uh, a counter going, and I think after it got to like 10 weeks, he just kind of canceled that counter. But the VA ID card program had some problems. The VA is, of course, aware of that. How could they not be? They had a bunch of requests for ID cards that went <laughs> unfulfilled or took forever. But they now tell Connecting Vets that improvements are coming in October. Why aren't those improvements coming now? <laughs> That's another discussion for a different day, I guess. But a spokesman for the VA told Military.com that the VA is establishing a data sharing partnership with the DOD that will essentially automate much of the veteran ID card eligibility determination process starting in October, thus substantially expediting card deliveries to veterans. What they're saying is that it should be up to 21 business days from the time a veteran's application is approved. And this is only, what, a year after they rolled out the program? Uh, I think it's a little bit little bit less than that. No, it may be about that time. I think it was like October, November of last year. No, you know what? They rolled it out. I think it was Veterans Day. It may have been Veterans Day that they, that they started taking applications for it or somewhere around there. Up to 21 business days is better than... Um, Never. Yeah, and it's better than you know, what they said last year, which I remember us laughing about it several times, where it was like, it could take 90 days or however long. It was basically open-ended, like, you may never get it, which seems that it turned out to be fairly accurate. To date, over 138,000 veterans have applied for the ID card. Jake, how many would you say have been mailed out to veterans of the 138,000 that applied? I'm going to be generous and say 50,000. Ooh, that's actually a very good guess and very close. A little bit lower. 48,000 veterans have received those ID cards. So you're talking, what's that, 4, 8, 12, it's, it's basically 33%. One out of three who applied for the card got it. That's not acceptable. It's not anywhere near an acceptable rate. It should be, I mean, even if 48,000 hadn't gotten them as opposed to having gotten them, that wouldn't be acceptable. I mean, this is an ID card. This is about as simple as it gets. Someone applies for it. You verify that, they are, uh, that they're eligible for it. Send out the card. How simple is that? It's about as simple as it gets. When I went to switch my license over uh, and when I moved uh, down to Maryland, same day. I walked in there, I got my, well, not, not the same, I got a paper license the same day, 
and then I got my uh, my regular license like a week later in the mail, and they are dealing with a substantially larger number than the VA is dealing with on a regular basis. So why is it taking the VA so long to get this done and and these these this fix that they're implementing? Why isn't it immediate? Why isn't it right now? What are they waiting for for this thing to happen? I don't understand it. And it's it's one of those things that just, listen, not getting your veteran ID card. And this ID card is basically to be able to get like a free meal on Veterans Day at the uh, uh, Bennigan's or wherever you want to go. Bennigan's. Wow. That's old. Are they even yeah. in business still? I, I don't think so. And that's why I use them because I didn't want to besmirch some other organization. <laughs> you know, like our TGI Friday, wherever you have that you can go and get the uh, uh, that free Veterans Day meal out at the Golden Corral or wherever you wherever you choose to go for your free Veterans Day day stuff this doesn't count as any sort of official government issued id even though it's an official government issued id (laughs) it's you know what i mean like you can't use this if you're going to get your license and you woke up with your veteran id card they're going to say no that's not going to happen in fact i had a va id card um issued to me years ago and i when i went to get my license they were like oh you're a veteran if you're a veteran you can have that on your license i was like yeah sure why not and i showed them my va id card and they said no that's not acceptable it's not acceptable proof of you being a veteran you need a dd-214 which brings up the thing like well i had to have a dd-214 to get this card it's an official federal government issued id card why doesn't it count I think the reason for uh this new va id card not counting is because it's just it's not it doesn't have a lot of information on it. It basically says who you are and that you are, in fact, a veteran and nothing else. It does have your picture on it. So, I mean, it's a government-issued ID card, but for official purposes, it's not. It's just one of those things for you to be able to not walk around with your DD-214. Here's the thing. For something like getting my license done, I'd need my DD-214 anyway. Yeah. So what's the point of this card? I. Uh, Again, free pancakes. Free pancakes, uh, a free Sunday on Veterans Day, things like that. I mean, there's not a lot of great use for this card, I would say. Still, even something as minor and trivial as this card, they can't get it done right. It's been, as you said, almost a year, and they've only gotten one-third of the orders actually sent out for it, which some people would say is an indictment of the problems over at the VA and perfectly illustrates what's going on over there that people are upset with. It kind of is. It's the one of these cases of the left hand not talking to the right. And I think the reason that it doesn't count as a state ID is because they're not taking any of the... You look at like a driver's license, there's multiple things that they do to verify that it's legit. Like there's holograms and there's reverse pictures and all this other stuff. So, but if they do that, it's going to be more complicated and probably take another 20 years to get. So they're keeping it uber simple, which basically means it can't count as anything because it's going to be very easy to replicate. But if it's uber simple, why can't you get it done? Why have only one third of the people who put in their applications gotten it? Because it's the government. It's got some official. It's got an Office Depot logo on the back. That's pretty official. <laughs> this is this is this is what we're dealing with over at the VA. And when people say, "Oh, you know, the VA," there are those people who say the VA is just great and there's no problems over at the VA. Those people are out of their minds. Yeah. There are also people who say there's nothing good happening over at the VA. Those people are out of their minds. I mean, we talked to Dr. Ryan Vega from the VA about uh, yesterday about the uh, the the innovation experience. This is a place where medical breakthroughs and treatment breakthroughs are happening on a regular basis, more often than anywhere else in this country, perhaps even the world, Jake. 
So there are good things happening at the VA, but when it comes to their ability to get things started and get things done, even something as simple as this, it is mind-boggling that a simple plastic ID card, only one out of three who applied for it, as you said, almost a year ago, have actually gotten them. Well, we're going to fix that. When are you going to fix it? Next month. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of being stationed in Sicily. Anyone who was stationed in Italy knows what the word domani means. Do you know what domani means, Jake? Nope. Tomorrow. Do you know when everything gets done, Jake? Domani. Domani. <laughs> hey, I need this done today. No, no, no. Domani. Domani. We'll take care of it tomorrow. Everything was tomorrow. Nothing ever got done. It's why when you're stationed overseas in place and people come to visit, you know, family comes over to visit for a week or two and they're like, oh, what an amazing place. I'd love to live here. Kind of look at him and you go, eh, no, you'd like to visit here. You'd like to vacation here. Living here, that's a whole different thing. A whole different thing. Similar things going on with the VA, essentially, where it's like, oh, you guys have free medical care. Oh, that must be so wonderful. Well, there's some things about it that yeah, are great. That's what's what I say to people that want, you know, a, a nationalized health care system in America. It's like, how about we look at the system we have and how much it kind of sucks? There are problems with it. Again, I wouldn't I wouldn't use that term in all ways, but I would say if you look at any government organization, you're going to have the bureaucracy that leads to headaches at best, nightmares at worst. So when people do talk about wanting that nationalized healthcare system similar to what they have in the UK or Canada or Cuba, that's one I hear a lot of people talking oh, about. Lord. Like, yeah, well. People get their health care taken care of in Cuba. They also aren't allowed to have opinions. Let's not go down that road. But uh, when you talk about the nationalized health care, and I've heard a lot of people when I was in college, for example, a lot of the young kids talking about that, I would point out to them like, hey, do you have a driver's license? Yeah. What was the process for getting that like? Oh, it's awful. I hate going to the DMV, waiting in lines. Everything takes forever. I think I have the right forms. And then they tell me I don't have the right forms. That's basically what going to the VA is like. There's a lot of similarities between them and every other government organization that you have to deal with on a person-to-person -person basis. Do you like going to the DMV, Jake? Nope. Do you like going to the VA? <laughs> Depends. Yeah. You've had good and bad experiences. We've talked about it on the show. When you had an appointment just a couple months ago, you showed up, and then, like, what was it, 10 minutes after your appointment was supposed to start, they tell you the appointment's been canceled? Yeah. That's not something, barring some sort of familial emergency at a, a private doctor's office, that's just not something that happens. That's how you go out of business in the private sector. The VA can't go out of business. And the interesting thing about that is when you have an appointment at the VA, it's not just one doctor there. I mean, you go to uh, the VA Medical Center in Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles or Topeka, Kansas or wherever you want to go, there is a massive staff there and they can't find someone else to help you out on that day when they cancel your appointment. That's uh, it's a big, big, big red flag for me. So, yep. again, there's a lot of good things going on there and some not so good things going on there. We're going to talk to... Uh, Concerned vets, again, we're well aware that they are not, uh, you know, a VSO like the American Legion or AMVETS, who we'll also be talking to today, or the VFW. They are an organization that takes political stances that uh, is, is very controversial in the veteran community. We've talked to him once before. Uh, we're talking to him again today about this job vacancy issue over at the VA. And uh, Dan Caldwell is going to be in here with us later on this morning, coming up in actually just a few minutes, about 15 minutes or so. Something else that may be taking place at the VA, but isn't taking place quite yet, is uh, the fact that there are some senators 
who want to introduce or who have introduced new legislation just yesterday that will allow a change that a lot of veterans are pretty pretty high on, pun intended. See, these two Democratic senators, Senator Bill Nelson of Florida and Brian Schatz of Hawaii, introduced the Medical Marijuana Safe Harbor Act. That would expand medical cannabis access to veterans who live with chronic pain, post-traumatic stress, other service-connected medical ailments. So here's what Nelson said in a statement about this. Federal law prohibits VA doctors from prescribing or recommending medical marijuana to veterans. This legislation will allow vets in Florida and elsewhere the same access to legitimately prescribed medication just as any other patients in those 31 states would have. So 31 states allow for medical marijuana. Senator Nelson and Senator Schatz have introduced this legislation to say, hey, if you live in one of those 31 states, why can't the VA give you access to it as well? It's been shown by studies and, of course, not VA studies, but by other studies. It's been shown to be a good uh, pain reliever. It's been shown to be a good, uh, what do you call it? Oh, when you get hungry. Appetite increaser as well. You know, people get the munchies and all that stuff. It's one of those things that has wide support in the veteran community. The VFW, which is an organization who for a long time was very much against any sort of legalization of marijuana for any purposes, in recent years they've changed their tune because their membership has been very open and adamant about wanting medical marijuana legalized for veteran use. Basically, they took a survey and found that somewhere around 90% of their membership who responded were all for legalizing it for medical use. There's a lot of support for it. There's also those like the current Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, who says it's basically the same as heroin and should never be legalized or used in any way. But if medical studies show that it's helpful, well, why wouldn't you use it? Particularly when you consider that compared to opioids and some of the other prescription medications that are given out at the VA, this is a much less deadly, much less addictive option that can do many of the same things. Of course, no one's saying that opioids should never be prescribed, should never be used, but in many cases, it seems they're being given out like Tic Tacs. That if you have any sort of thing wrong with you that's causing you physical pain, you're being prescribed opioids. And this is nationwide. This is not just in the veteran community. This is at medical facilities around the country, including the VA. Now, at some places, they have the option of prescribing marijuana instead. And when they do so, they find, as I said, good pain reliever. And also, to this date, we have not found a single person who has died from a direct use of marijuana. No one's overdosed on using marijuana. So as Jake Hughes returns back into the studio after running out to grab our guest and doing those things that a producer does, Senator Schatz of Hawaii, Senator Nelson of Florida, introducing this legislation, the Medical Marijuana Safe Harbor Act, that would allow the VA in the 31 states where medical marijuana is legal to actually prescribe it to veterans or allow them access to it. Where do you stand on that? I absolutely stand on the fact that medical marijuana should be Research at least, because as I said before, I, this is only anecdotal, obviously, but I have several friends that self-medicate with medical marijuana, and it helps them with PTSD. It helps them with chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and I think that as someone who takes a smaller version of the quote-unquote combat cocktail, that I think that if we can spare someone from having to take you know four or five different pills at different times throughout the day by giving them this 
uh, medical marijuana, I think we should, uh, by all means, be able to prescribe it. It's certainly safer. As I was just saying, you can't go and you can smoke as much marijuana or eat as much marijuana, however you want to take it, as you want. You're not going to die. Now, of course, there are many funny stories of people thinking they were going to die while they were using <laughs> uh, the, the marijuana. But in reality, it's not a deadly uh, it's not a deadly substance. It's not something that can kill you. Alcohol is more likely to kill you than marijuana. Just about any I mean, Tylenol, NyQuil, any of these medications that you can take out there, you can overdose on and it can cause severe physical issues up to and including death. Marijuana doesn't. So it's a safer option. Of course, we have decades of anti-marijuana, uh, some of it legitimate, some of it propaganda, some of it talking about the crime associated with the illegal drug trade. That's a legit problem. Of course, it's illegal. If it were legal, would we have the same problems? Not surrounding marijuana. However, I'm of the opinion that people who are uh, involved in the marijuana trade, if you make it legal, they're not all of a sudden going to be like, well, time to go down and get a job at uh, Pizza Hut. That's not going to happen. No, they're going to switch. To they're going to find some other illegal means to uh, to get their money. I mean, it's it's that seems like common sense to me. But it also seems like common sense that at least on the medical side, it should be available to those who it could help. If it could help them and not harm them, again, it's not something that can cause death. It's not something that's as addictive as opioids. Why aren't we doing it? And it goes back to, you can talk about uh, William Randolph Hearst and basically hemp being a good uh, replacement for paper. He owned paper mills that he printed his newspapers on. So there was a big yellow journalism campaign against uh, hemp, which, of course, uh, you know, it's, it's marijuana, essentially. It's a, a non-active form of marijuana that they can use for paper and thread and other things like that. It's much more easily replenishable. You can grow marijuana plants pretty quickly, from what I understand. A tree takes a couple hundred years to get up to where it needs to be to produce the same amount of paper. So we have a century plus at this point of people fearing marijuana, uh, having been taught that it's essentially as, you know, as Jeff Sessions has said, as bad as marijuana, when the truth is it's not. That's not what it is. This you is just said marijuana is as bad as marijuana. As heroin. That's what okay. I meant to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't let that pass. I yeah, felt, no, I felt right. the need to double dig at hey, you. Hey, call me out. Just because I have a microphone in front of me doesn't mean that I'm, I'm always right about everything. It doesn't? So, well, I mean, most of the time I am, but, <laughs> but not all of the time. So, all right. You're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Coming up in our next segment, we are going to talk to Dan Caldwell, Executive Director of Concerned Vets for America, about the VA and specifically about some concerns that that organization has over this uh, 45,000 job vacancies that they have over there. Because according to Concerned Vets for America, over the last four years, that number has stayed relatively steady, thirty to 40,000 job openings. But in that same time, the VA has actually added 40,000 positions as well. So why is that? We're going to have a discussion on that, why this is happening over there. Uh, it's something that we've also talked with uh, the VSOs about. And coming up later on in the show, he's waiting right outside the studio right now. We're going to have Joe Chanelli in studio, talk about what's going on with AMVETS. Of course, we'll talk probably about the NFL with the uh, you know the kneeling for the anthem issue. That's uh, it's going to be at the forefront again this weekend as the NFL kicks off their 2018-19 season. And AMVETS They've been taking a stand on hashtag please stand. They took some heat for it from people who were not members of AMVETS last year. The AMVETS membership seemed to be fairly happy with what they were doing. And there are a lot of veterans out there who are. And again, what they're doing, I can kind of understand and get behind as well because 
They're asking people, please stand. They're not demanding that anyone stand. They're not trying to take anyone's right to kneel away. They're saying, hey, I understand what you're doing, but I would prefer that during this time when we are saluting this country that has given us such great things, please stand. And that's, of course, well within their rights to do. And uh, they don't seem to be too worried about people outside of the organization complaining about it if that's what their membership wants. So we're going to talk to them about that coming up in just a little bit. And I want to remind you, if you are not following us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, are you living your best veteran life, Jake? Probably not. I would submit absolutely not because there is such amazing information on Connecting Vets every day. Stories about people like John Peck. You want to talk about resilience, you want to talk about John Peck. He's up there. And then, of course, the stories that we were just talking about, the VA ID card. When you're discussing with your fellow vets what's going on with the VA ID card, well, guess what? If you go to ConnectingVets.com, you're going to have the information that you need to have a a solid debate on it and tell people what's going on. You're going to get to hear from people like uh, Nate Boyer, who talked about the flag kneeling issue with us right here on this show last year. You're also going to hear about uh, from Mr. Villanueva of the Pittsburgh Steelers, former Army Ranger officer, weighing in on that please kneel thing. General Petraeus's uh, statement about a sacred obligation to care for burn pit victims. All of that is available to you every day at ConnectingVets.com, and we are on social media at ConnectingVets. Find us, follow us, do the right thing. It's a morning briefing. Eric Dame, JQ is back with Dan Caldwell right after this. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the morning briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and our team at Connecting Vets is entirely veterans. That's why we are working to connect vets each and every day through the multi-platform content we're putting out there. Audio, you already know about that. You're listening to this. Articles, videos, benefits in my backyard to help you figure out what's available in your state to help you live your best veteran life. All of that is available at ConnectingVets.com. And, of course, you can be kept abreast of the latest and greatest going on at the site by following us on social media, where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is returning to the Connecting Vets studios, Mr. Dan Caldwell, the Executive Director of Concerned Veterans for America. Dan, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on again. Of course, you are a veteran. You are involved in taking a look at what's affecting veterans in a positive and negative way. The biggest thing that I think people obviously know CVA for is taking uh, issue with some of the things that go on at the VA and the health care that's provided to veterans. And the latest item that I know CVA is very interested in is the kind of hubbub surrounding the fact that there are 40,000 plus vacancies at the VA. And as I understand it, your organization takes a little bit of issue with the fact that there are still those 40,000 vacancies because it appears they've actually added jobs over the last few years. Is that correct? That's correct. Now, when we're talking about vacancies, we're talking about open roles, open employment positions within the VA healthcare system. We're just focusing on the Veterans Health Administration right now, not the benefits side or the cemetery side. But within the Veterans Health Administration, according to the VA's data that they released late last week, uh, there's 40,000 open, unfilled positions. In spite of those vacancies, since the waitlist scandal in 2014, over the last four years, 
the VA has added about 47,000 people to its roles, not just positions, but actual people. And this vacancy number has actually stayed consistent over the past three or four years. It's been between 30,000 and 40,000 vacancies. So what, why is that? How, how does that? Why does that matter? Uh, um, how does that make sense? Well, one of the reasons this vacancy rate has stayed so high is the VA is, is creating and adding positions quicker than they can fill them. About every year they go to Congress and they get more money to add more positions. I believe last year they added between, I think, eight and 10,000 positions within the Veteran Health Administration. In many cases, they don't do a proper analysis of whether or not they can actually fill the roles, whether they can hire for them, whether they're even needed. And most of these positions, and I just actually left a meeting at the VA central office, met with the new acting head of the Veterans Health Administration. He says that they're doing an analysis, but it appears that most of these positions aren't critical. They aren't doctors and nurses. In some hospitals, maybe they are. It's going to vary from hospital to hospital and region to region. But Overall, a lot of these positions are not frontline clinician positions. They're administrative support. They could be things like housekeeping roles, cafeteria roles, press roles, um, other things like that. So it, it just focusing on that number, that 40,000 number, doesn't tell the whole story about what's happening at the VA. And I'd just like to add as well that the, the vacancy rate hovers between 10 and 12% within the VA. Hmm. That's actually the standard vacancy rate for what you'd find in a private health care system. And most private health care systems haven't added 47,000 employees over the past four years as well. When we look at these 40,000 vacancies, and you talked about what those positions are and what they aren't, are some of them um, basically replaced by some of these new hires? Do we know anything about that? Like, are they positions that they still absolutely need to fill, or are they positions that are kind of redundant now? That's a very good question, and based on the conversations that I, I just had, is the VA is doing an analysis of that. Dr. Rich Stone, who's the new acting uh, uh, head of the VHA, I think he's going about this in the right way. They're going to do an analysis and actually determine, do we need these? Um, he, he made a point, and he, he has a military background. And he worked at the Pentagon. The Pentagon has something called a manning table, a manning department, the, the Office of Personnel, which actually the new uh, head of the VA used to run. They have a very clear idea of, okay, these, these are the positions we need. This is where we need to, to, to move troops around to. The VA doesn't really have that. So they're going to start doing an analysis and say, do we need all these positions? Can we close some of these roles? Can we put resources into filling critical positions or not even spend the money at all keeping these roles open? Does this become sort of a catch-22 situation where people can say, well, if there are these 40,000-plus vacancies but the VA is still operating, then you probably don't need them. Then again, you can have people come out and say, yeah, but there are problems at the VA, and if we filled these 40,000, maybe that fixes the problems. Is it going to get into that kind of a, a he said, she said situation, for lack of a better term? I, I hope it doesn't because it's not. there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution to this. It's not going to be we have to fill all these positions or we have to close all these positions. They, they need to do an analysis of which ones they actually need and which are actually critical to care uh, uh, for our veterans. Um, the other thing they need to analyze is, look, we're sending more care in the community. Over the past four years, the amount of care going in the community or outside the VA or the private sector, whatever you want to call it, has grown from about 20% to 36%. So if you're sending more care into the private sector, do you still need all these roles within the Veterans Health Administration since most of the new 
you know, appointment growth is actually going in the private sector. And that's that's the other thing. During this time, they've added all these new roles, but more and more care is going in the private sector. It's interesting, too, to use a bit of a football analogy. Sometimes things change when it comes to medical care, even when it comes to that bureaucratic side of the paperwork and the admin and everything. To use a football analogy, you used to have two or three fullbacks on every NFL roster. Now, most teams are, I think, contractually obligated to have one, and that's all that they have. Do you think that some of these positions that aren't there are that antiquated, Do you maybe, that there are people who uh, it's a job that we clearly don't need? And if so, why wouldn't it be easier to cut those off the rolls so that it doesn't show up as a vacancy? I, I absolutely do think they need to take a look at that, and I think that, that they need to look at has you know a role become outdated because of changing technology, because of increased efficiencies due to the use of, of new computer systems or things of that nature. That's a discussion that needs to be had. Unfortunately, with the way that the government works, it's hard sometimes to have this discussion. I have to, you know, can't entirely blame the VA. It's because of, in part, how Congress funds and authorizes the VA's operations every year. Sometimes they feel compelled to go in and request more roles than they need so that in the hopes that they get what they actually need. And that's that's part of a whole broader issue that doesn't just affect the VA. It's part of our government's budget and appropriations process. And unfortunately, the VA sometimes becomes a victim of that. Since last we talked, uh, some things have changed over at the VA. Robert Wilkie is now confirmed as Secretary of the VA. He's been in that position for a little while now. He's spoken publicly a few times in that position. Uh, how would you say he's handling this issue and his staff uh, as far as the manning of vacancies at the VA? And then overall, how do you think he's performed so far in that role? Well, in regards to the vacancy issue, I think they're taking the right approach. They've said that they've been very clear that that they don't think that they need to fill all these vacancies, nor should they really even be considered vacancies anymore. They're going to do it in a very targeted, strategic approach. They're going to look at, you know, these are the roles we need to prioritize. Would probably be clinician roles, people that provide, you know, care at the front lines of our veterans, and put resources in recruiting uh, people for those roles, and then start to shut down some of the under under needed roles. Unfortunately, Congress, well, not unfortunately, fortunately in our system, Congress does have a say here, um, but. In this particular case, that say might be counterproductive because they don't want roles to be shut down in their districts. They want to keep them open. There's um, uh, an impetus to keep funding flowing to some of these roles so that you know people can hopefully be hired into them at a later date, if not now. So they're going to have to work with Congress on how to go about this. Uh, they do have some control over you know their recruiting and their hiring practices, but um, I think that that. Uh, Robert Wilkie and his staff are taking the, the, the right approach in this case. Do we know what role, if any, the unions might play in the fact that these jobs are still listed? Because a lot of people I, I know have been surprised to learn that, yes, there are government health care worker union uh, folks who work at the VA, a large number of them. Is it some sort of maybe contractually obligated union thing that these jobs are kept on the rolls or are the union members fighting for those jobs to be kept there? Well, if you were to talk to the American Federation of Government Employees, I think they would say that the, the biggest problem with the VA is that you have these vacancies. Now, obviously, I don't agree with that. I think that, that they are focusing on those vacancies so much because the more of them they fill, in many cases, the more members they get and the more dues they get into their coffers. Um, that, that's their motivation for keeping a lot of these roles open and trying to fill them because they get ultimately more people that join their, their ranks 
um, when you have more people filling these roles. So that's that's kind of their motivation. They are advocating for keeping these open and not changing hiring practices. Uh, a lot of focus has been on how easy it is to fire people within the VA, but uh, a lot of uh, one thing a lot of people don't know is that the American Federation of Government Employees and some of these other public sector unions actually oppose making it easier to hire people through things like direct hiring and and reducing the bureaucracy within the hiring process. So they have a vested interest in in preserving the status quo, in my opinion. Um, and so they're going to oppose some of these changes and reforms that Robert Wilkie's talking about. <laughs> One thing that people don't often uh, realize is that being undermanned for a company can actually be a bargaining chip for workers or for the unions. You know, if you've got two people who are doing five people's jobs, well, maybe they deserve a little bit more money there. I mean, there's, there's certain things that you might not initially consider when it comes to all these numbers that might pop up when you think about it a little bit more. When it comes to the VA and the health of the VA overall, where do you think we stand? And do you think we're moving in the right direction under Secretary Wilkie since he was installed? Well, uh, I think he's done some good things at the start, but it's only the, f the, the first month or so. Right. Um, I had very high hopes for Secretary Shulkin, um, and I thought that he was doing a good job for the first six or seven months. And it started to become slowly apparent that he wasn't the right person for the job, in, in my opinion. Um, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic with Robert Wilkie, in the past, I've said I've been cautiously optimistic about previous VA leaders, and then I've gone back and said, well, the caution was warranted, the optimism was not. I hope I don't have to say that about Robert Wilkie. I'm not anticipating that. Uh, but he he's starting off, I think, um, well, uh, but there's a lot of work to do, and this is going to take a, a years to fix. Um, and it's going to go beyond Robert Wilkie's tenure at the VA. It's going to take several good VA secretaries to really get this system back on track. What do you think should be, let's say, the top two or three items that he focuses on first? He's, he's just getting his uh, sea legs under him, to use a Navy and Marine Corps term for you there. What do you think he needs to focus on first in the job? There's really three things. The first is proper implementation of the VA Mission Act. That's the big health care bill that was recently passed it's going to fundamentally change how the VA delivers health care. If it's not implemented properly, you're going to have veterans falling through the cracks. You're going to have veterans not getting the care that they have earned. And it's going to create a whole mess of problems uh, uh, over the next few years. So that needs to be his top priority, ensuring that's properly implemented, especially over the next year or so. His second big priority, which is somewhat related to the first, is ensuring the proper implementation of the new electronic health record system, the Cerner uh, what they're calling the Cerner contract. This is going to replace the VA's current scheduling system and electronic health records system. It, this is going to be another project that's going to go beyond Secretary Wilkie's tenure. It's going to be a 10-year project, but getting it started on, on, on the right path is incredibly important. And the third is continuing some of the personnel reforms that were started last year, making it ensuring that it remains easy to get out bad actors, ensure whistleblowers are protected within the VA, ensuring that you have tools to properly mentor and coach VA employees. Personnel reform is going to be huge. So those, I would say, are top three, healthcare, IT, and personnel policy. And those are certainly big ones that are going to make a big difference, not just for veterans now, but for those, as you said, 10 years for that Cerner program. Seems like they've been working on it for 20 already. So, hmm, yeah, as we yeah. go forward, it's going to affect those who are getting out of the military just as much, if not more so, than the, than those of us who are already out, correct? 
Uh, that that's absolutely correct. And one of the reasons they went with Cerner was because the DOD was was already switching over to Cerner. So that ensures there's more of this seamless transition from the DOD over the VA, which has been a huge problem. Um, in the late uh, 2000s, you know, early part of this decade, the VA wasted two billion dollars trying to get a new system set up that could talk to the VA's electronic or the DOD's electronic health record system, and that didn't work. And uh, uh, since then. They've still had to rely on Vista, which is going on about 40 years in terms of age. Um, and it was really actually the first electronic health record system, but they kept patching it over and it's really on its last legs and the VA has to get away from it to stay up with the times. We're speaking with Dan Caldwell, Executive Director of Concerned Vets for America. Dan, when people hear seamless DOD and VA in the same sentence, you can hear their eyes rolling uh, through the radio right now, probably. Do you think, as the executive director of an organization that's been quite critical of the VA and how things have been run over there, do you think that that it's feasible that we'll ever see that sort of seamless interoperability? Is it something that we can achieve? Well, I think that everybody should roll their eyes when you hear people like me say that uh, because everybody should be skeptical because the VA and DOD have failed at this so many times before. Um, It doesn't really matter if I think they can do it or not. They have to do it. Um, for our veterans to get better care, to get um, benefits that they've earned in a, in a more timely manner, this this integration has to occur. There shouldn't be an excuse. Every private company, a lot of government organizations have this type of integration at some level. If we can send a man to the moon, hopefully we can make the DOD's computers talk to the VA's computers. It shouldn't be that hard. Uh, but unfortunately, it has been because of the way these bureaucracies are set up. But um, we, we have to do it. And it's not just to help veterans. It's, it's, it's ultimately, at the end of the day, it, it, making these systems work saves money. It makes things more efficient. And it, it ensures that the taxpayer dollar is being properly spent caring for our veterans. Yeah, the man on the moon uh, <laughs> seems a little bit more likely at it, times. It actually, if you think about it, 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 it took us less time to send a man to the moon than it, than it has to integrate the VA's uh, and DOD's medical records. That is quite the comparison and one that really puts things in perspective as we speak with Dan Caldwell of Concerned Vets for America. One of the things that I think can speed up some of the changes that we think uh, are necessary at the VA and that many veterans agree are necessary at the VA, uh, whether they are looking at it from the perspective of a group like Concerned Vets for America or not, can be increased if we have more veterans serving in Congress. Is that, you know, as we look at these midterm elections and a whole bunch of veterans are running out there, is that something that you think could actually increase uh, the way that things are working at the VA or better them? You know, I, I take somewhat of a different view on this. Um, I think there are a lot of great veterans running for Congress, but I, I think that I would tell every veteran who's going to go to the polls this year, and it should be everyone, and CVA is going to be turning out a lot of veterans to go and vote this fall. But you should look at a candidate's policies uh, first. And, and you shouldn't just simply vote for somebody because they're a veteran. And at the end of the day, we all know that a lot of our, 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 our brother and sister veterans, you know, just because they wore a uniform doesn't mean they're necessarily great people or they're qualified to be in Congress. Mm-hmm. Now, generally, I consider, just to be clear, military service in my mind is a plus. That, that's something that I think is beneficial to those serving in office. But... What is ultimately more important is the policies they're going to advance, 
and whether or not they have integrity, and they're going to go to Washington and do what they said they were going to do on the campaign trail. It's interesting that all the veterans that we've talked to who are running, whether on the, the Democrat or Republican side, we can look at Ken Harbaugh, Democrat running for Congress in Ohio, uh, and um, Dan Crenshaw, Republican running in Texas. Both of them have told us, you know, hey, the veteran status, maybe that helps us get our foot in the door, but people shouldn't be voting for us just based on that. Look at what we're about and then decide if that's what you're uh, aiming for. So it seems to be kind of similar to what CVA would like people to consider when they're looking at who to vote for. And don't just assume that that veteran means, hey, this is a great person, because think about your time in uniform. I knew some dirtbags when I was in. Well, you know, unfortunately, look at what's happening with Representative Hunt, uh, Duncan Hunter. And mm. a very sterling service record, undoubtedly served honorably in combat. And, um, you know, based on the evidence, he's still got to go before a court of law. But it's very clear that, that at the very least, you know, he was mismanaging right. his campaign funds. And, and Michael unfor- Grimm from up in New York, my neck of the woods, a few years ago. You can remember the issues Absolutely. Duke Cunningham, uh, who's, sitting, I think, still sitting in federal prison. The, the first ace out of the Vietnam War was hugely corrupt. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a Navy cross. Yep. Hey, Governor of Missouri seemed to have had some problems there recently as well. I mean, we can just go down this rabbit hole. Unfortunately, we can go on on that. We could, unfortunately, but we don't have any time to because we're just about to finish up here with Dan Caldwell. He is Executive Director of Concerned Vets for America. Dan, if people want to find out more about your organization and find out more about this information that you're you're, you're putting out there that people might not know about as far as the fact that, hey, there may be 40,000 job openings at the VA, but over the last four years, they've added 40,000 jobs as well. Where can people go to get this sort of information from you and uh, and decide what they want to do with it? Uh, first, go to our website, www.cv4a.org. So cv4a, the four is a number, .org. Um, find us on Facebook at Concerned Veterans for America and then at Twitter at Concerned Vets. Those are the three best ways to get in touch with us, to follow us, and to learn about what's going on in your community. Dan, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Eric. Our thanks to Dan Caldwell, Executive Director of Concerned Veterans for America, for joining us in studio. We are now joined by another guest in studio, United States Marine Corps veteran and Executive Director of AMVETS, Joe Shinelli. Joe, how are you doing this morning? How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I cut off your never better part at the morning uh, at the beginning. But everybody knows you always say that when you're here every Thursday for AMVETS. Uh, you were outside the studio, so we brought you in a little bit early to do a couple, uh, an AMVETS extra for five minutes today. And let's talk about the issue that we were just discussing with Concerned Vets for America, which is that, you know, there are 45,000 vacancies at the VA, but... CVA says they've actually added thousands of positions over the last four years, while the number of vacancies at the VA has stayed relatively steady, between 30 and 40,000 jobs. I understand you were at a meeting uh, that Dan Caldwell was also at with the Undersecretary for Health. Uh, Dan says, you know, he believes that things are moving in the right direction and they're taking the right steps over there. But when it comes to that 45,000 vacancies over there, which is, uh, as we just discussed with Dan, a combination of uh, bureaucrats and doctors, nurses. I mean, it's it's mostly, I think, government workers more than physicians and things like that. But how is AMVETS viewing the shortage of personnel over there? Well, the majority of the shortages themselves are actual medical providers, a lot of nurses, doctors, things like that. Um, when you talk about these new jobs that have been added over the past several years, you're right, there have been too many Really, and those have been the people who are not actually they're they're in the in the VHA uh, Veterans Health Administration, but they're not actual 
people who are dealing directly with veterans. Mm. Uh, and that's what we need more of. Um, so I had also met with Dr. Stone, as you said, uh, Undersecretary for Health for the VA. And he, he's talked about right-sizing uh, the VA. He, he says that there is not a, a a table of organization, as we would know in the military, where each, vet, each VA uh, medical center would have a set number of providers and specific, like we need this many neurologists, we need this many uh, anesthesiologists, things like that. They don't have that in, in writing anywhere. Typically, it's been, this is how we've done it for a long time, or this is what the director of that medical center believes they need. They want to formalize it. They want to uh, figure out how many people they really need. Uh, it seemed pretty clear they're going to reduce that number of vacancies by reducing number of job slots. Hmm. Um, th that's okay uh, if it's the right thing to do. We, we don't want them playing with numbers here just to make things look better. So we are concerned about that. We'll be watching that very closely. And uh, of course, we have the uh, the expertise on our staff to be able to do that. And so that's something that's already on our radar at MVETS to be able to work directly with the medical center directors to make sure that what they really feel they need um, is the appropriate staffing levels. But uh, it can't be said enough. A shortage of healthcare providers is a nationwide problem. If yeah. It's certainly not just within the VA. And it's one of those things where uh, if we're short on uh, people who check you into the VA and the, and the paper pushers over there, that's one thing. But when it comes to the medical providers, that's one thing that we cannot be short on. I mean, I think I'm okay with a few less bureaucrats, a uh, few, few less steps and hurdles to jump over uh, to get to that fine medical care that is given at the VA, which we just talked to Dr. Ryan Vega yesterday about the uh, innovation experience that they recently held. There are constant breakthroughs in treatment and programs that are taking place at the VA, those are not being created by the paper pushers over there. Those are being created by the medical and mental health professionals. And those are the gapped billets, to use a military term, that we certainly need to fill. Do you question how many of those 40,000 plus job uh, openings there are over there may be redundant based on the number of people that they've hired over and the new positions that they've created? Like maybe they've created a new position that makes this old position that there was opening for uh, unnecessary, but that old position is still on the books? Um, that's a, a question too far down into the weeds for me to know <laughs> uh, my, myself right now. Yeah. It's something we'll be looking for. Um, you know, Dr. Stone talked a lot about hiring paper pushers. He's talking about hiring a lot of public affairs people, which I kind of chuckle a little bit because that's kind of where I came from yep. professionally. But he's talking about if I can only hire 10 people, do I want to hire five more people who can clean the building or five more people who will actually see the patients? Yeah. And we know where those resources should go. So prioritizing is key. And five more people to uh, answer questions about why nobody's gotten their VAID card uh, to the media is certainly not where I think those positions should be going. How about you just get the ID cards out to everybody? We're going to talk about that, the flag protest, and so much more with Joe Chanelli, Executive Director of AMVETS, when the morning briefing returns right after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. 
I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and ConnectingVets.com, that's your website. It is filled to the brim. Some would say chock full of information that's going to help, assist, and even entertain the veteran community. Great stories about resilient vets like John Peck, who's been through hell and come back, and come back strong. Things about two senators wanting to give the VA the ability to recommend marijuana in the 31 states where medical marijuana is legal. And of course... It's not all sunshine and lollipops and roses and puppies. Those VA ID cards from a year ago, yeah, 140,000 people applied for them and only about 50,000 have actually gotten their ID cards. So we're keeping an eye on all of that for you. And the best way to be kept abreast of everything that's going on on the site is to follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is our regular Thursday guest. He joins us in studio for the first time in a little while. He's been busy gallivanting around the country doing things on behalf of his organization. He is the executive director of American Veterans, a.k.a. AMVETS, Mr. Joe Chanelli. Joe, welcome back after joining us briefly in the previous segment. How are you doing this morning? Still never better. There you go. Eric, and I was here last week. You weren't. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I was. uh, Well, I was here, but I was doing other things, I think, is what was going on. So that's true. Well, it's it's the first time I've sat across from the from you in the studio in a while. Of course, Joe Chanelli, my former defense information school classmate from 20 years ago. I actually just would have gone over the 20 year mark this past uh, week. Basically, August 25th, 1998 is when I joined. What when did you join? Crazy, Becca. Just before, I guess March, I would have hit 20 years because your MEPS date is your effective date. I went to boot camp day after Memorial Day. There you go. Yeah, I, I August 25th, I think, is when I left four MEPS, got there on the 26th or something like that. Remember, riding a train from Stamford, Connecticut. And I was thinking about it the other night. I remember who I was riding with. He was in my boot camp division. I don't remember how we got to Springfield, Massachusetts, because there is no train that goes directly from Stamford, Connecticut to Springfield, Massachusetts. I don't remember how we if we switched trains or whatever. It's 20 years ago. Things happen. My memory is not perfect when it comes to that, but it's pretty good when it comes to veterans issues. And one that I just mentioned is something that I have a very strong memory affiliated with Joe Chanelli about, and that is the VA ID cards. Of course, the story, uh, you know, military.com doing a story on it, connectingvets.com doing a story on it. A lot of people interested in this. VA spokesman Curtis Cashour, 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 not sure, recently saying that the VA is establishing a data sharing partnership with DOD to essentially automate much of the veteran ID card eligibility determination process starting next month, and that will substantially expedite card deliveries to veterans, saying it'll take only up to 21 business days, which is better than, what did it say last year? Like 90 days, maybe, is kind of what the, uh, the, the, the statement was from them. To date, here's the numbers, Joe. We were talking about this off air. Over 138,000 veterans have applied for the card. Just under 48,000 have actually been mailed out to vets. You applied for yours as soon as the site opened up. Literally that night, I think even before the site crashed for the first of many times. Uh, What's that VA ID card feeling like in your wallet? Your memory is good, and that was about 10 months ago, and I am not among the one-third that has received it. Wow. So I still have not received it. uh, one of my uh, one of the guys I work with has received his, and it does have the Office Depot, right? Uh, the official Office Depot, the official logo. Office Depot logo on the back, which uh, I don't have a, a problem with really. <laughs> I had a lot of questions defrays, about that once upon a time. If but. it defrays the cost of it, if Office Depot is like, yeah, we'll sponsor it and we'll get it out there. 
you know what? Great. If the VA can save some money doing that, I really don't care if there's an Office Depot logo on it. But if they're defraying the cost through that, then why in the heck do only one third of veterans who applied for it not have their ID card yet? It's it's mind boggling. And, and as Jake and I were saying earlier, it's a little bit indicative and an indictment of the issues that you have at the VA. Thankfully, in this case, in kind of a minor, non-life-threatening way, but how are you not getting something as simple as this done and you're expecting everyone to, to trust you with health care? That's kind of crazy. It, it is crazy. Uh, fortunately, in a, it, it's not really important because this ID card has pretty much zero value. Uh, what we recommend for our members, for all veterans, is to go to your uh, state's Department of Motor Vehicles and have that the fact that you're a veteran put onto your license. Right. And the reason we do think this is really important is because if you're injured or if, heaven forbid you're you're actually killed, um, there are benefits for you regardless uh, of your, your military status up to that point that um, someone who's taking care of you or maybe someone who's arranging your, your final uh, your final resting place, they need to know that you're a veteran so they can get those benefits. And uh, it's a, we move closer to our next census as well. It's yeah. really important to, for people to know how many veterans we have all over the place so that proper resources can be used. Um, this ID card doesn't help in that way at all. It's no. really just become a, a big joke. And uh, pro tip for anybody out there, do not try to use this or any other Department of the Veterans Affairs ID card to try and get that veteran status put on your license. When I went to the Motor Vehicle Administration to switch my license when I moved to Maryland, uh, they said, oh, you're a veteran. Uh, you can get that added to your license. Do you have any documentation? I said, yeah, I have my officially government issued, not this ID card, an old one for my uh, actual ability to go in and check in at the VA. They said, oh, no, that doesn't work. You got to have your DD-214. I was like, well, I needed my DD-214 to get this. Why? Uh, it's just one of those things that goes up with IDs. Also, we we're going to talk about one of those things that's been at the forefront of discussion for, oh, about a year or so now, maybe a little bit longer. I guess it's been a couple years since Colin Kaepernick first kneeled on the sidelines at the NFL. Of course, recently he was uh, chosen by Nike to be one of their spokespeople. He was used in an ad that said, you know, what did it say? Essentially, sacrifice everything if it's to do the right thing, just do it. That kind of thing with Nike. That advertisement uh getting a lot of pushback from quite a few people, including some in the veteran community. As an organization, AMVETS, of course, and we're speaking to their executive director, Joe Schinelli, who has been perhaps the most vocal of all the VSOs. I don't even think perhaps the most vocal. I think clearly the most vocal on the issue of whether people should uh, stand for the national anthem. How did you view that ad going out there? So the ad doesn't make any direct reference to to the anthem protest, Um uh, but we've had plenty of media that came to us right away uh, be, because of this. Um, as she said, because of the the war that we had with the NFL when they uh, decided to block us from being able to make, with the present advertisement during the Super Bowl, it's just asked uh, simply, "Please stand." So, uh, um, you know, the the issue I have with this ad is the sacrifice everything. I, I don't think I, I don't think this is used in the proper context. One, I don't really think Kaepernick has sacrificed much. Um, now that the full story is coming out about this guy and that fact that uh, Nike has been paying him $11 million a year since this whole thing started, uh, which we now know is um, he has also declined contracts. The Denver Broncos had 
offered him a contract. He said, no, I want starter money. I want to be the starter. That's just not how it works in the NFL. No. I think he thinks pretty highly of himself, but he forgets that his team had won like three games. He was 3-13 and 13 in his, yeah. last, uh, his last full 16 games, which is a full NFL season, although I believe that was over two, a two-season period before he was benched uh, in favor of Blaine Gabbert, I think, when you're benched in favor of Blaine Gabbard, I don't think you're playing very well. So, yeah, it sure. it is an interesting thing. And, of course, you know, there are a lot of people on both sides of the issue uh, using veterans as, some say as pawns in this game, particularly if you're not a veteran yourself. I really don't care what you have to say about us and what we think and what we feel. However, if you are a veteran, you're allowed to have whatever opinion you want. And it seems the majority of the AMVETS uh, team, the AMVETS membership, is certainly supportive of people standing during the national anthem. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Our, we just had our national convention, as we've talked about, and the whole police stand um, issue was really uh, important to them still. Uh, Americanism, patriotism, still very important. Um, we, we really believe... If, and, you know, this goes back to what Kaepernick actually said when he first started this. He wasn't looking at this as a protest. He said he was ashamed of this country because of the way he felt uh, certain people were, were being treated. And he's talked about minorities being treated by how they were being treated by the police. And he wore socks that depicted police officers as pigs and things like that. Yeah. And he sat um, to begin with. And we, I guess we don't need to revisit the whole story. But the right. bottom line was... He wasn't even looking at this as a protest. Um, so this has really grown a lot bigger than him. And we know there's, we've seen a lot of the players now are kind of upset with him that he's really tried to make this about himself rather than about this this movement in general. And but so on the flip side, we see kneeling here as a big problem with the, the overall movement that we want in reasserting patriotism into our country. Because if people aren't willing to stand up for that two minutes of where we honor the country and honor everything that's happened to build this country. And are they going to actually stand up to fight for this country and enlist or join the military? The army has missed every single recruiting number they have right now, not blaming this on the, uh, on the, the kneeling or anything like that, but I'm blaming it on a lack of patriotism that we're seeing in this country yeah. and, you know, properly uh, honoring our flag and our national anthem and standing there respectfully for, a couple of minutes and reflecting on what's what's gotten us to where we are right now is really important in that. I think you could also blame it on cell phones and bad diet because, man, are there a lot of people who just don't physically qualify for the military anymore. That's one thing. I have a lot of friends who are uh, Navy recruiters, career recruiters, uh, as I worked in recruiting for three years, who say that it's just hard to find people who even qualify anymore. So there's a lot of issues that the military is facing. Uh, and I think that people kneeling during the anthem is perhaps uh, not the greatest issue that veterans are facing, but it is one that some feel very strong about. This isn't something AMVETS is going to back down on anytime soon, is it? No, absolutely not. And we're interested to see what there's a Nike. We just found out was bought a two minute spot tonight. Uh, the NFL's first game of the year is tonight. And there's a spot that very much features Colin Kaepernick. And so we're interested to see how that goes. Uh, the ironic part there is that we were really pulled into this when the NFL blocked us from doing an ad, Yeah, if you recall. And now they're allowing Nike to do an ad that I'm sure is going to be political. Yeah. It's very interesting to see um, companies getting involved in these uh, social issues and political issues, which I don't know, man. It's a gamble. And, and from a business perspective – 
how many people are going to be supportive of what they're doing? How many people are not going to be supportive? How many people are going to, uh, we've seen people, I think, kind of foolishly and, and funnily burning their Nike gear and, uh, you know, stuff like that, which, dude, you paid for it. Don't don't burn your money. That's the same thing as setting money on fire. Don't do that. You know, uh, you can still say that you disagree with what they're doing without destroying your stuff. But, hey, that's your prerogative as long as it's not putting anybody in danger. We've seen people doing that. Are we going to see people actually going out and buying products because of these ads? I don't know. That's that's the gamble that Nike's taking, and apparently their research people are telling them, yeah, no, this is going to work out well for us. It's funny because I think a lot of these people who will be buying this gear are also the people who don't like the fact that they use children's sweatshops yeah. <laughs> in other parts of the uh, world here to, to make this gear. It's, a, it's an interesting discussion, and it's one that Amvets has been involved in from the start. Uh, personally, for me, I've had several people ask me, you know, what do you think about it? I would prefer that people stand for our national anthem. I love this country. I think this country, while not perfect, has done uh, some amazing things, more amazing things than any other nation in the same period of time that it's existed. Uh, it, you know, Go back, pick any 225, 240-year period of any nation. I dare you to find someone who's had uh, as much uh, positive impact on the world as the United States has. While I would prefer everyone stand, I fully support everyone's right to do what they what they feel is the right thing to do. If you want to kneel, that's fine. I'll defend you if you want to kneel. If someone's trying to physically stop you from doing it, I will stop that person from stopping you. Absolutely. Let's keep in mind, though, Joe, these are NFL players. They don't need my help in stopping <laughs> people from stopping them. I mean, this is just I, the arguments kind of it, it spiraled a little bit out of control. And what do you think of the fact that people will throw uh, like a Pat Tillman out there. We've had that happen a lot recently where, hey, this is real sacrifice. And Tillman's family has been very adamant about, hey, stop using him for political purposes like this. This is, this is not something that we appreciate or that he would have appreciated. What do you think about that that back and forth aspect of it, of people seeming to try and one-up each other? No, this is what sacrifice is. No, this is what sacrifice is. should absolutely respect the family's wishes. And nobody knows what Pat Tillman really would think about this because obviously he was killed in action before this uh, came about. So, yeah. you know, I'm very much uh, opposed to anyone trying to use his, his image in, in a conversation like this, that, you know, is not something that we as a nation have had to discuss in the past. I don't think it's fair at all. I'm always going to respect the surviving family's wishes. That is an important thing when it comes to those who have made the ultimate sacrifice, uh, respecting the family's wishes, respecting their honor, their legacy. And there's a great article on ConnectingVets.com from Phil Briggs, who actually went to Arizona State, Pat Tillman's alma mater, and uh, talks about five or six things that uh, you should probably know about Pat Tillman, his life and his service, and how uh, you know the discussion of him is bigger than the discussion about the flag uh, kneeling controversy. It's uh, it's all very interesting stuff. There's a lot more going on than just this flag, although if you go on social media, it seems like that's pretty much it. That and apparently some rap battle between Eminem and another guy. Uh, yeah, I don't even know. I'm old and out of touch, so uh, people can have that discussion. I'll talk about things like the GI Bill. It looks like there's been some uh, some issues with the GI Bill going on over at the VA. Joe, what can you tell us about that? That's a very serious issue, and uh, at the tail end of uh, the last segment here, we talked about more employees that have been hired to the VA recently. Right. Well, um, less than a year ago, the VA hired 200 new employees to help them um, create in, some new analytics and new ways to be able to pay student veterans living allowance. Uh, so these are veterans who are going to college on the, on the new GI Bill. And um, 
for those who are starting in the new year, the 1819 school year, um, there's a lot of them are not going to receive the proper pay because the VA has completely dropped the, dropped the, uh, uh, they, they've, they've messed this thing up here yeah. <laughs> and, um, they dropped the ball. That was the uh, analogy I was looking for. <laughs> Should have got that at the NFL and all, um, so, so basically, um, it's supposed to be based on the zip code of the campus that the college they're going to. And more than a year ago, the VA was tasked with getting this and rolling this out. And while that doesn't seem like a very complicated issue, somehow the VA has made it very complicated. And despite having 200 new employees specifically dedicated to this, they've missed their deadline in a big way. They were required to have this done by August 1st. We're now into September. They still don't have it. And now the school year everywhere has started. And so in the, at least the first month, there's going to be a lot of paychecks here that are messed up. And we don't know how bad they're going to be messed up. Uh, of course, worst case scenario is they don't get enough. And so that these veterans will be living on less money than they should be. Um, this is another, another bad opportunity here too, though, that we, they could receive too much, not know it for a little while, spend yeah. that money, and then be required to quote unquote pay it back. As we all know, if you ever got extra money in your paycheck from the military that you weren't supposed to get, they take that back as soon as they find out it's missing. However, if they owe you money, good luck. You know, don't hold your breath. Absolutely right. But so often you can go out and look at your pay chart and figure out how much you're supposed to be making. There's no pay chart. There's no table out there that says this zip code rates this much money mm-hmm. for living expenses. That's something that the VA was responsible for developing. Now they're, they probably have it. I'm sure they have something here. Right. But they, one, they don't have the mechanisms on the back end to get down to the zip code. I mean, so this is pretty serious stuff here. Uh, and a year ago, they said this was a heavy lift, and, and they still have not uh, figured it out yet. So we, we certainly are encouraging all veterans to go to their – every major college out there has a veteran's office. Go to that veteran's office. Find out exactly what you're supposed to be receiving. Get it in writing. And then obviously compare it to what you actually receive. And if there's any discrepancy, let your veterans office know immediately. Uh, if you have a service officer, a veteran service officer, which most all veterans who are in college now have, yeah. make sure they know as well. Um, this is how you, you, you cover your six here and make sure that you're getting what you're supposed to. And obviously, if you feel that you're getting too much, keep that money in the bank. You can keep the interest, but keep the money. <laughs> The uh, BAH rate is essentially what the, it's E5 with dependence BAH is what you're supposed to get. There are calculators out there, but they're not from the VA. They're from the DOD. There's ones from like militarybenefits.info and these other things. How do you know you're looking at the right one? If you're looking at these uh, private websites or even at the DOD one, is it the right year? Is it the right info? How the VA is not on top of that. Again, you know, it, it feels like it's just something new every time we talk. There's something new over at the VA. And when I say something new, I do not mean something new and amazing. I mean, yes, there are great things going on over there. Talking to Dr. Vega about the innovation experience, it sounds like there's some great programs that worked on local levels about to be expanded to the national level. But there's also this this national just cluster of nonsense that takes place when it comes to the bureaucracy. And we're talking about that with Joe Chinelli, executive director of AMVETS and veteran of the United States Marine Corps. 
there's some good news out there. Of course, there's a lot of organizations doing great things. We're going to talk to Randy Couture of Merging Vets and Players, Army veteran and former UFC champion tomorrow. There's also one of the biggest country companies in the country, nay, in the world, Amazon. They're doing something pretty amazing to help vets, aren't they? They are. Uh, so Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, who I believe is the richest man in the world now by... He's up there. I, I, is he number one? Uh, I'm going to have to look so, this up now. <laughs> so he, he has pledged and he's put forward $10 million to a political action committee that's focused on getting more veterans elected into Congress. Uh, I think this is a, a tremendous uh, move by him. Uh, really smart of him to be able to recognize the leadership and the uh, intangibles that veterans bring. And in a time right now where our government is as dysfunctional as ever. Oh, yeah. I think it would be great to be able to bring more people who have lived and worked in a nonpartisan space. And all of us in the military know when you're in the military, you have to be nonpartisan. You can have your political views, but you have to be able to maintain that nonpartisanship so that you can get things done. Right. So to be able to bring those people into Congress, I think, is a, a huge plus. Um, not too long ago, um, Veterans were really uh, underrepresented. Now in Congress, uh, for the first time since World War II, um, we have more veterans in Congress uh, percentage-wise than we have veterans in the United States. Um, so this is a great thing. Uh, this is also a reason we uh, AMVET supports Hill Vets, which I know you've got Justin Brown from Hill Vets on here all the time. Uh, so it's not just the staff. I mean, sorry, it's not just the elected members; it's also staffers. We need more veterans. We need more people with that military uh, perspective on Capitol Hill uh, right now. And so we really applaud Jeff um, Bezos. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Bezos. Bezos. Yeah, yeah. The S is not silent. And you were right. Richest man in the world by $22 billion. That's according to uh, Forbes, I believe. He is now number one, having moved up. Bill Gates was the former number one. Warren Buffett, number three. Bernard Annault of France, number four. Zuckerberg, five. And to get down into... uh, whole bunch of people of course there are the Koch brothers charles and david who if you add them together that's 120 billion dollars if you put them up there so if they were uh, one person since they work for the same company but anyway it's good to see that these corporations are out there trying to help veterans and helping veterans who are looking to get into congress on both sides of the aisle is something i think most of us can get behind because they have a tendency to be able to work with the other side, you know, and we've talked to people like, uh, you know, hardcore Republican Dan Crenshaw down in Houston. We've talked to uh, Ken Harbaugh out in Ohio to uh, congressional hopefuls that may be coming into office later on this year, depending on how it goes in their elections. It's a positive thing in general. And look at uh, the recent burn pit legislation that came out of Representatives Mast and Gabbard, two people who are on opposite ends of the political spectrum, but are able to come together to work not just on veterans issues, but I think on on other issues as well. Isn't that the hope? You're right. Mast and Gabbard are two prime examples (laughs) of what veterans can bring to Congress. And, and, you know, this isn't just to help veterans, this is to help the whole nation. I really believe it will. Helping the nation is what it's all about. And helping veterans, that's what AMVETS is all about. Perhaps the most inclusive, not even perhaps, you guys are the most inclusive veteran service organization that's out there. If people want to find out more about AMVETS, uh, where should they go and who should be looking at becoming a member of AMVETS? So we are open, as you said, as far as inclusivity, we are open to anyone who is honorably served in the military. Um, Excuse me. When I say military, I'm talking about, of course, active duty, but I'm also about the Reserve National Guard. You do not have to deploy overseas 
Um, you do not have to be activated for a long period of time. Uh, we, we respect and honor all military service, um, whether you're during the wartime or not. Um, so, you know, we're the only ones out there fighting for the interests of all 20 million veterans. Uh, you can find out more about us online, of course, at amvets.org or any social media platform, which is amvets at amvetshq. And of course, Connecting Vets is also on social media. We are ConnectingVets.com. That's the website you should be checking out multiple times a day. How many times a day would you recommend people go to Connecting Vets, Joe? Oh, I would say Connecting Vets itself probably two or three times. Uh, I, I'm on tw- I check their tw- your Twitter feed there you four go. or five times a day. you got to do that. We are at Connecting Vets on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all those places. We want to thank our wonderful mm-hmm. guests today, including Joe Chanelli, Executive Director of AMVETS, Dan Caldwell, Executive Director of Concerned Vets for America. And that's basically bringing us to an end of this Thursday edition of the show on a short week. It's already Friday tomorrow. That makes me feel good. I don't know about you, but we are going to have some more fantastic guests for you tomorrow, including Randy, the Nat Couture, former multiple division UFC champion and army veteran, served for six years in the United States Army and then was also an Olympic wrestler, got a full scholarship after the Army to Oklahoma State to go wrestling. Fascinating guy and doing great work with the Merging Vets and Players Organization. That and the VFW are coming up tomorrow, so we will see you then. Have a great day. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.